This episode of Pots vs. Pete's was originally recorded April 9th of 2018. It was posted on April 25th of 2018. This is your official spoiler warning. This is an in-depth analysis discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. If you've not seen that movie, you may want to before listening to this podcast. Thank you. Peterson. And I'm Alex Potterbaum. And we have a very special episode today for Pots versus Pete. The marvelous morons. <laughs> yes, that's right, folks. Today is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 colon The one with his dad. <laughs> the ego one. Where we're going to talk about feelings a lot. We're gonna, a lot of feelings, a lot of ego, and a lot of family this one has. It's yep. a very special episode. Yeah, the um, first one was uh, about moms. This one's definitely about dads. Pretty yes. much. It's about genitalia. A lot, <laughs> they, they, a lot of male genitalia. They make a lot of jokes about that, which is kind of funny. Like, it's just... It's just not not really where this humor of like any of these movies has gone previously, and like Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy did a little bit, but like this was just all out. I was like, oh, all right, yeah, that was a penis joke. We heard one here on Marvel movies. <laughs> yep. I, I feel like Tony Stark has quite a few. Of them. He's had a couple of them, but that have been like quick zingers, not a whole conversation about <laughs> whether whether an alien has a penis or not, like. It's it's a valid question. Very socially awkward, but valid. Only socially awkward for the humans. Drax That's true, is, yeah. Drax, Drax is culture. Normal. Yeah, and it's kind of... Honestly, I'm kind of with Drax on that one. It's just like, it, there is something kind of beautiful about conception and the idea and story of how you came to be as a person, you know? That's nice. Although sure. a lot of those stories in, you know, American culture would be, whoops. <laughs> you make it sound like someone slipped out of banana and I was like whoops there's that and like whoop there you go like, Opa. yeah no I mean it's uh, not totally out of uh, out of the realm of possibility well Potabob <laughs> I do believe um, we, we are just weeks away from Infinity War That's and I am true. super ecstatic you you told me you had the spoiler reveal of the synopsis for Infinity War. I do, actually. It's pretty I would love to hear that. So, uh, a young Peter Quill is growing up in Brooklyn, um, in Skid Row, actually, where he gets (laughs) taken uh, in by a a happy florist and his, you know, charming uh, associate. Uh, And then while he's out there, he ends up fighting a very odd planet. It's a Wakandan uh, snare-eating beast plant. He doesn't know it yet, but it's actually alien, and it's part of his dad. So he ends up growing up and take care of it, but it ends up eating people. Um, it eats uh, his friend Bucky's arm. You know, goes after all of his other friends and family, and eventually has to decide if he wants to keep this musical singing violent plant, or if he wants to, you know, get all the fame out of it, or if he has to get rid of it and you know not have people get eaten. So it's a very touching play. Wow. Yeah, and that and I would will that have any musical numbers? At it will. All? It will be all musical, Kirk. Um, yes, this movie is always going to be a musical. It's been a musical from the start. Yes, 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 yes. It's what all the MCU has needed since day one has uh, been a musical. We've only got a little bit in Cap One. That's going to change. Wow. I'm I'm very impressed with that scoop. That is sounds like it's going to be an incredible piece, uh, a real game changer with the superhero medium. Oh, absolutely. We we've yeah. been needing this for a while, and that's this, I think this is the shakeup every superhero new movie has been needing for yeah. Decades. I agree. I agree. Centuries even. Well, then I suppose we should get right into it. If you're new to this show, this is Pots vs. Pete's, where we review every single Marvel Cinematic Universe movie up until Infinity War. Uh, and this week, we're on to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. 
Um, and uh, we are going to go ahead and review it. Uh, you, you've got the synopsis, though, though, Joshua. I, I do indeed have the synopsis this week. So this one starts out in Missouri Earth, circa 1980. <laughs> Missouri Earth is like, where is it? It's Missouri. Where's that at? Earth? Duh. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Absolutely one of my favorite uh, title cards. Yeah, so it's state, country, continent. No, no, no. It's just no, Earth. Duh. Earth. <laughs> <laughs> where we have uh peter quill's mother interacting with who would we find out to be peter quill's father mr kurt russell playing an ego they go behind a dairy queen where they are showing off some kind of plant thing that ego had planted before and then they start making out and then we flash forward into the present of the story no where he- Knowing Missouri, that's actually the conception story. <laughs> right behind a Dairy Queen. Behind a Dairy Queen. That's horrible. <laughs> and also correct. So, yes, it is. Kevin Feige has uh, confirmed. Uh, he just sent me a tweet a few seconds ago. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, so we're in the present day where we find the Guardians of the Galaxy raising a young Groot... And also finding things uh, for notoriety and money. Um, oh, they're specifically trying to get Nebula out of a deal from uh, the gold people. What do they have names? Um, I don't remember what they are. They're just okay. Gold. We'll just yeah. refer to them as the gold people. They're the gold people. Be very racist and superficial by looking at their skin color the whole time. They're, it's like everything is their gold, though. Like not even just like their skin. It's like literally every single piece of their architecture is like obnoxiously glittery gold for the most part. Yeah. So, which is kind, of, which is kind of awesome. So, they're here. They're doing that, and then they get Nebula. They're on their way. Uh, only to steal batteries and to get screwed over by these gold people who are playing arcade uh, warship machine things. And then uh, they go through an astrofield, asteroid field, um, saved by this strange entity that they see off in the distance. And uh, Rocket calls it a, a small a small man. So then they go off to a planet, they talk to this person, find out that it is Peter Quill's father. They go off uh, with his father to a planet called Ego while Rocket tries to fix the ship. Uh, They get uh, 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 captured by uh, Yondu's people. Yondu's people have a mutiny. Um, uh, uh, Ego is trying to convince Peter to become this godlike figure where he can destroy and take over the universe. Um, The the peter's friends uh what's her name uh, gamora and drax are you know trying to convince him out of it trying to get off that planet somehow uh, 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 uh the gold people are after uh, uh, uh peter quill still or the whole guardians of the galaxy at that point and um uh one thing leads to another and they learn all about family and yondu dies and um uh, Peter Quill rejects the idea of Ego and uh, spends his time with uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy family. And that's how it ends. With yep. five post-credits and a celebration. A sad celebration. A, it did not end on a happy... It ended on a happy note, but a barely sweet happy note. So It's a very bittersweet... The ending ending is a very bittersweet happy note. Yes. The post credits are just them being goofballs and having a good yep. time. So pretty much. So uh, you, you give you give or take. Yep. So there you go. That is the synopsis. Would you like to start with the bads today? That's uh, right, folks. I no. said bad. We can start with the bads. All right. Well then, please. Plead your case, Mr. Potabom. Oh, I'm going first. Okay. Uh, so my first one, and this is superficial, and you can, I will totally accept if this isn't true or not, um, but the soundtrack on this one wasn't as on point as the first movie. Um, still good, and there were some great songs that were, like, perfect choices, uh, like Fleetwood Mac's The Chain was phenomenal both times I got used. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like, the father and son one towards the end, like, there's really good songs in there that, like, clearly meant to be there, um, but it feels like there's a couple odd filler ones, 
uh, yeah. that were just kind of like they're good songs and I enjoyed them and they're better they're better than all the knockoffs that of like of Guardians of the Galaxy we which we talked about a little bit in the last in the first Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. They're better yeah. executed than those by far. But given how well some of the songs were executed in this one, there were a couple odd ones I was like, "Why?" Like um uh, w- uh the Shangalang song that wham bam Shangalang. Oh I Yep. I I could I could see that but I also really love that. Wham oh, yeah. bam yeah, as again, soon as the I love that song and it's executed uh, well but it's just not as like yeah I- impactful as like again as the some of the songs in this one and a lot almost all of them in the first movie um all of those were yeah. hard hitting and we had there were a couple of songs here that's like mm, okay um not opposed to them but also not as uh they're definitely not as like impactual um that makes any sense yeah uh yes yeah uh so two uh i don't like i i get why they did ego having this big plan to take over the universe and i i'm fine with him having it um but it's just kind of another like stereotypical villain is evil and wants to take over everything for a character that doesn't need it um, and I think it was kind of to set up a uh, an action piece that, A, didn't really need set up to be a giant action piece. The Guardians of the Galaxy had to destroy an entire planet. That's your setup enough. But then we have, like, this whole the cutaways where this gelatinous blue goop stuff is taking over, like, different worlds. So we see it trying to take over the Dairy Queen where Peter Quill was conceived. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that one uh we see it like taking over like the old uh xandar um place where the nova Corps was from the first movie like it, it kind of like and it's this big gelatinous goop that like takes over everything and it's like oh no he's gonna destroy the whole universe when really we got exactly what we needed of why ego needs to be destroyed from like way before that before that stuff happens which is um spoiler alert and bombshell uh, Ego killed his mother um, when he left Earth the last time because he's like an omnipotent, all-powerful being. He put a brain tumor in Peter Quill's mother, causing her to die a slow, painful death. He didn't just outright kill her. He like basically cu- caused him a torture because he was so weak that he couldn't do it outright himself. And he was also so selfish and narcissistic that he thought he had to kill her in the first place. Like it's yeah. horrifyingly disgusting on so many levels. And it's great that the movie never, like, in the movie never, like, beforehand was, like, building up to this ominous horribleness. And, you know, he's, like, got Peter Quill trick, but the second he drops that bomb, Peter Quill's done. And, like, there's no words or anything like that. He just starts shooting. And it's great. But that's all and we as the audience need to say, Ego needs to go down. That's it. That's such an intensely huge, just, like, plot that we don't need this whole... He's trying to take over the world too, right? We're done with him. Like whatever d- horribleness that has so much more of an impact than like this, like you know, a villain's taking over the world. We've seen that. We haven't seen a really a villain do something this disgusting um, on such a personal level to a character that we like so much. So I would have rather them not have that superfluous extra set that kind of takes a little bit away from the uniqueness of ego and him actually having some personal connection to our main character. Okay. Um, remind me that I have some arguments with that point. We'll get you to that. Do them now. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I yeah. think, um, at the, I, um, we needed a reason why ego would want, uh, quill. Um, and need him around at all. And I, agree I think with that. Yeah, and he having this uh battery and this uh, using him as a battery, which is almost as insulting as as killing his mother with with a cancer. Um, you know, slowly kind of the same death like the slowly draining away all life that he would have in order to feed into this egomaniacal uh viewpoint that the whole universe has to act and op- act and operate just like ego does. Um, and like, that's truly the, the evil scheme of his stuff is that, uh, he feels like he has all the right answers and, and has to force everybody else to follow those things by destroying their planets and, and starting the new with, with a new life. Cause he's so disappointed in how life turned out in all these other planets. 
it, it, it all ties into this uh, theme of family and, you know, the ones we're born with and the ones that we choose type thing. And, um, and clearly the one that, you know, is abusive is the one that you want to be away from no matter how uh, related you are to them. I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, I like, I don't dislike the plot being in there and him having that goal. I think just having to try and do that where there's, you know, danger happening to other people that aren't our main characters, like cutting away and all that stuff and having that big plan happen right that second while all this other stuff happens is unnecessary extra. Um, I think it's yeah, good that I he likes. I don't think so. Something about the the something about the scope of this one felt right. Like it felt a genuine bigness and ego's mm. ego being that big that he's taking over the whole universe. That's it fair. seemed it seemed pretty right to me. I don't know. Yeah, and I I like again I don't dislike the plan and that that is idea because yeah it ties into the theme perfectly and all that stuff. I just think it actually happening right that second when everything else is happening too is kind of like this is big enough already they're trying to kill an entire planet is it safe to say that he was kind of forced his hand because uh quill denied him possibly Um, it it seemed to me like it wasn't going to be right that second it just kind of happened that way because quill just started shooting at him right because then it turned i mean you could argue that and you wouldn't be wrong at all i just think in terms of what I think, it kind of we lost a little bit of what made Eco a unique villain when he got uh-huh. when this whole plot got executed, um, as opposed to what you know the uniqueness of him of you know he actually has a personal connection. We like actually got to like see him and sympath like not sympathize but like actually get to learn a little bit about him or whatever his facade was before we get the really dark reveal of what he actually is. So, yeah. That's just me. And then my third point, um, kind of like, I kind of tied a lot of these together, so I don't really know which one I want to talk about. Um, I guess there's a couple odd characters that I just don't know how to feel about them being in the movie. Um, for one thing, we talked about the golden people um, before, and they're kind of, I'm glad they're in the movie. They're definitely a unique presence, but they kind of come back in the finale, and I don't care. Uh, they're yeah. given a lot of screen time more than they should have gotten, um, yeah. if that makes sense. And and especially since it seemed like by one of the post credits that they're going to be uh, characters that are setting up for something big in yeah, the future the, movie. the third movie, which is like, they were th- their purpose was that they were a unique alien race that Rocket ripped off, and then, because he's trying to be, he's, as the movie says, and I'm going to sway here, I'm sorry, but he's a professional asshole. Um, Mm -hmm. so he's ripped them off, then caused all this circumstance to happen, and then, you know, and then they're a plot device to get Yondu to go find where Peter Quill actually is, so he can start the hire and then start the mutiny. That part all makes sense, and I'm totally fine with that existing up to that point, but then they come back in the third act, and it's kind of like, why? Um, I don't understand why these characters are back, and they're not really, and they just kind of, like, show up in their ships, and then they get blown up, and that's it, and we're just like, oh, it's just, like, another thing on top of um like another challenge on top of what's already happening which again is they're fighting an entire sentient planet that almost has unlimited power they're fighting a god that should be enough and if they needed some circumstance they could have just made some like you know the planet has auto sentry ability or something like that that like ego built a bunch of like floating ships himself that even if he were to fall asleep that was just a defense mechanism or something like uh-huh. it's just it's just kind of an odd thing of like why are these characters keep coming back um, I like be, I'm gonna tie all these in together and I'm sorry this is more than three uh, I like Baby Groot but I feel like Baby Groot was a little bit too much uh, sure a little bit too much um, and a little bit too much of the same type of humor out of him which is that he's really kind of dumb uh, not because he's a dumb character but just because he's a basically a baby trying yeah. to do things and it's kind of like uh, I, I get like um like the him trying to find the fin scene there were lots of funny parts from that but i think that was entirely too long sure uh, like it was a great setup and great jokes and then it kind of ran a little bit too long and then it hit a punchline after it ran down too long so i was kind of like i liked it but um i think that's just kind of baby grew in general he's a good idea good concept and good execution most of the time but there's times where it's a little bit much and then i like mantis but 
Man, Mantis doesn't do anything in this movie, really. Uh, oh, I definitely disagree with that. I, she does Man- something in this movie. I like her as a character being there, for sure. Yeah. She's definitely worthwhile addition. I like that. I just kind of wish she got to, like, bled, gel with the rest of them a little bit more, if that makes any sense. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, just... And she was a lot of her character was, like, really naive about stuff. And there's, like, that fine balance between, like, naive but not stupid and naive and and also stupid. And it, yeah. it's this straddled the line really, really oddly. Um, it kind yeah. of worked most of the time, but there's times where it's, like, you're just making her seem like she's really dumb when we know that she's competent human being that's like kind of like uh the movie's pretty like mean to her for the most part which is fine the movie's mean to everybody in this movie but seems like especially kind of picking on her at times yeah there's definitely some elements of that but uh no uh mantis in some ways is, is one of the one of my highlights of the movie and one of the one of the elements that i thought was super interesting i love the idea of uh of an epath and empath empathic character yes that's really cool idea especially for all these characters who are like except for drax are so emotionally problematic like yeah they can't and they can't communicate their emotions and we have this character that can help with that i think is super fascinating and um she has one of the more important elements of the climax of calming ego down while they were going to go set up that bomb and stuff like that it seems like every element of the plot was needed and necessary to move forward in ways that was what that was interesting and um uh, mantis has this really interesting role um that i think i could do a whole paper about she's this really strange character and i suppose are you uh, were you done with your bads that was my bads yep yeah I, I we could transition to that to the point where like my one of my bads specifically and yes mantis is one of my favorite characters but she is a racist stereotype that is horrible <laughs> like oh my god i don't know why they went with that route with her wait um, really what uh... oh yeah the awkward the awkward asian girl is a horrible asian stereotype that's been around for a long while um and like this is this is like the prime example of that that and um the pitch perfect uh girl the like quiet i don't uh, know the pitch perfect girl the, I, I don't uh, she she ate her twin fetus in the womb Oh God! I don't remember that part. What? You don't remember that part? No. Uh, what? Oh. Okay. So it, it, yeah. This is this is not not a good uh, look um, uh, for this kind of character. And what's frustrating about it is that there's hardly an, any other uh, really good Asian characters, let alone Asian female characters, um, in the MCU. And like when you have this one, that's just this blatantly bad. It's just like, oh no. Um, I- do you, and do you think that th- was not even like on like it was an accidental like somebody like you know somebody like I guess it would have been James Gunn that like saw this and like unconsciously moved this or was just like they ended up designing the, her lo- alien look to look a little bit too much. Like, well, this is, is what uh, this is what I'm gonna get at because this is was kind of a hot topic debate. I actually had an argument with somebody on Facebook over us over this whole thing her old counterpart or the comic book counterpart is an equally racist uh you know kung fu artist in the comic books um and you know that's a whole different stereotype yet you know equally as as you know problematic in terms of representation so it's just like i feel like he was probably trying to fix her up in a way that um because we already have like eight uh, kick-ass female characters in this movie, which is great, uh, but I feel like that kind of uh, fighting would be kind of overbearing, and so he went with this route with her to her being more of a, a submissive um, character, which is really great with this with these empathic abilities, um, and I think this is a super interesting route with this character. Um, uh, because of of some uh, gender issues, um, it, to go into a little bit of of gender theory of feminist theory here for a second, um, there's two very distinct binaries um, that that feminism kind of wants to get rid of. So the male binary is that they are a logical, um, pa- uh, not passive. What's the opposite of passive? 
um, aggressive, a- aggressive, active uh, force of reason that you know they uh, they act out things, they they think about it thoroughly, yada yada yada. Uh, that's what a male characteristic is. That's if you're, if you're masculine, that's what you are. And then the feminine is the opposite of being this, uh, submissive, um, uh, feelings type of person. This, uh, they, the, the, they're passive and they feel things rather than think about things. They don't, they use their emotions rather than logic. A lot of movies, to, in order to fix or make a stronger female character, they would go out and give her qualities of the masculine traits. That's their way of of being a a good female character, which is to say that the feminine side of this gender binary is not appealing to a person. You know, that's more or less what they're kind of saying. So in some ways, making... A, an aggressive uh, female badass action chick is equally as uh, sexist in ways of of doing that. So, how do you fix this problem? I think James Gunn found a very interesting route with this by having her empathic abilities, these um, these abilities that are all emotion based, to being the main linchpin of dis- of defeating the bad guy. This this way of going about it and having basically this female character that has all these female traits and um, showing that even though she's in this weirdly abusive relationship, she can go off and do really great things and overcome these things using her own abilities. She doesn't have to adapt and become an aggressive, uh, cool, badass fighting chick. She can use her things, her tools available in order to defeat her uh, demons. And I think that's a very important and very cool uh, story tidbit. It's just unfortunate that she also comes off as the weird, goofy, uh, you know, Asian female thing. Um, I could send you a link on BuzzFeed that that talks about it. And um, it it is problematic, but uh, I thought it was a really great uh, look at at that kind of uh, gender binary. I don't know. You, You have any comments about that or... I, I think I think any racial uh, uh, coding was pretty accidental. Nonetheless, accidental or not, it still happened. And right. it's problematic. That's my bad and good. Because I think I really, really like this character. And I thought, like, this was such a great way to look at that. Um, not that, you know, uh, the female characters that are strictly, you know, doing the masculine traits is also bad. Uh, you need... You need something. What I would really like to see is a male character that has, you know, the the female, the feminine traits, and you know, is portrayed in a good light. I'd like that to see that for a feminist thing, and I'd like to see a character that's completely balanced. And uh, you know, I thought I would, you know, I thought this Mantis character was probably going to be the best look we're going to look at feminism all year, and then. Lo and behold, we had Wonder Woman that was very much um, kind of a balance of of both those gender binaries, and that was that's it was a, that was a really good it's a really good year for superhero movies. Twenty seventeen was okay. So to go off of the thing you were talking about earlier that the songs weren't as strong of a choice this go mm-hmm. around, uh, I agree. So my point is that a lot of the things they nailed and needed to repeat in the last movie doesn't work as well this time around. Music isn't quite as good, and they should have cut about twenty five percent of the jokes. A lot of the humor in this movie I don't think works at all actually. Uh, and here's a list of uh, the humor that I have here. Uh, a lot of the running gags or jokes that just simply was bad. Uh, the ripe fruit. Yeah, that really wasn't a great... I don't know if that was... Yeah, that was kind of an odd one. Yeah, and they go on it for way longer than they needed to. Taser face was cringe level, I thought. Taser face was funny at first, but the fact that it kept yeah, going they kept on... they kept hitting a dead horse with that. Yeah, um, like, it was funny when Rocket was insulting him of, what, did you did you wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I'm going to call myself Taserface? Because it works on two levels, right? Rocket's being a jerk to purposely insult him because he's, like, trying to, like, get this other guy mad because, again, Rocket in this movie is a professional asshole. Um, and it also is, like, his way of dealing with problems at the same time, whereas also it's being funny. But, yeah, then it keeps continuing. It's just like, uh, it's It was funny when it happened then. Let it go. 
Yeah, let it go. Let it go. No. Yeah, no. It was it was bad. Um and then the another joke that stuck out to me was James Gunn's brother interrupting Nebula's plan. I that wasn't remotely funny. And that went on for, you know, probably not nearly as long as the ripe fruit or the other the taser face thing, but it went on for a little bit longer than it should have. Um uh, they halt the plot to look for tape. That was, it was really funny in the teaser, but watching it right now today, I was just like, um, this is, this is eating up a lot of time. I think, I think it went on a little, I think it initially was funny. I think, yeah, it probably could have been trimmed down. I'm okay with it existing or him yeah. asking of like, do we have any tape? And Peter goes to two people and then says, no. But instead, yeah, he goes to, like, everybody else on the crew. It's like, no, you go to, like, two people and ask if they have tape and then be like, why do you need tape? Like, that's yeah. that should have been the joke. And then, yeah, but he, like, goes to, like, five separate people. Like, it's a funny it's, joke, but... It it's also weird. It was a weird moment because it doesn't have a payoff. I don't know why Groot decided to push the right button. I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I, that's yeah. A, such a weird moment. I kind of wished, like, like, the bad button was cracked a little. So I was hoping, like... I guess all he says is I am Groot for dialogue, but I wish something could have been like emoted more clearly that that button was too ugly to press or something. I, I don't know why he would have pressed the correct button. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. Maybe he just like they never they never found the tape. So, you know, nope. apparently that was the only way to fix that problem. Um, uh, the Pac-Man was obnoxious. Um, you didn't like but, the Pac-Man? But, no, but I guess it is a nice payoff to when Peter Quill's just like, I'm going to make some weird shit. Yeah, he doesn't uh, even that say, is, I'm going to build really a, funny, he doesn't even say, I'm going to build an 800 foot Pac-Man statue. So it, it is tease that he does like Pac-Man, but yeah, yeah I, I can see that. You know what? I guess, I guess my problem with that is that they have like 87 jokes at that climax when they could have cut, you know, about, again, about 25% of them, you know, just, just cut. Uh, some out and it won't feel overbearing that you're trying too hard to win a bunch of jokes you know yeah and like it, yeah it's not like this movie doesn't have good jokes in it like the mary poppins yeah. one is phenomenal like uh, and something it's like, I, oh sorry go on no it's, it's just like it's such an earnest moment too that it's it's a funny one yeah for us as the audience but like as the characters it's not necessarily a joke like it is yeah. but we're also learning peter quill's growing up right because he would have, like, in the beginning of this movie, he would have said, no, Mary Poppins is a woman, like, and, like, made Yondu feel dumb. But, like, we get him emotionally growing up enough to be, like, shut up and just let him have this happy moment. Oh, I, I want to talk about the fact that a lot of people don't like the Drax character in this time around. I was talking to my friends about it, and they just, like, hate the fact that he's a goofball. So, like, he's a different character or something like that. No. And I watched, I watch, and I'm, I'm watching this movie, like, trying to... Th- you know, trying to get that point of view, trying to see if I can see what they're saying. And I think Drax is the funniest guy in this movie. Like every, like every line of dialogue he gives, it, it could be a bad joke, but he gives it with such great delivery that it's, yeah, yeah he's really kind of great in this movie. He's um, awesome for sure. And I, and I would be the, I, right now. I'm doing a bad talking about how maybe there's too many jokes. Uh, maybe him calling Mantis ugly went on for too long, but like, a lot of the things he sh- said should have been killers, you know, really bad jokes or something like that. But just the way he delivers them, I think is hilarious. Um, and not only that, but he has one of my favorite moments of the whole movie of uh, him uh, with Mantis. And, and he's talking about uh, how his child used to love ponds or something like that. And Mantis, you know, feels the feelings he's feeling. And it's just this really beautiful, somber uh, moment. I, I just I just adored that. So. Um, a lot of these jokes do work, so I, I agree. I'm just saying I just needed a few less, you know. This is a yeah. two-hour and 15-minute movie. It could have probably been five minutes less just if you cut out a lot of those clunkers of jokes. Uh, we don't need them because the, the, the jokes that are good in this movie are really funny. So just cut out all the bad. Yeah, agreed. Or just, like, even, like, end some of the running gags a little bit earlier, right when you get the best laugh. Um, yeah, it's just learning to self-edit like that. It's hard to do, but yeah, I, yeah, that would have been nice to have. 
All right, and then my third and final point is that Dairy Queen product pre-split was really out of place. Oh, that was bad. It was it's kind of gross. Yeah, it's, it's not even, like, in a way, like, like Ant-Man, we didn't knock Ant-Man for the Baskin-Robbins one, but, like, that kind of tied into the plot a little bit, like, yeah. was part of, a re- like, a place that he worked. Like, of course, when, you know, Scott Lang needed a job somewhere, a minimum wage ice cream place probably was it. But then, like, yeah, this was, like, they roll up to, like, a building that could have literally been anything else, and it was obnoxiously a Dairy Queen. And then we come back to that Dairy Queen again. That is a thriving Dairy Queen, but, like, you know, just to yeah. let you know that Dairy Queen's not dying at all. Uh, a thriving Dairy Queen, you know, 30-something years later. And then it's just like, why? I, I don't care. <laughs> like, the Dairy Queen got mowed over by this, like, obnoxious blue goo, and I was just like, awesome. <laughs> Great. I love Dairy Queen, but, like, why? It's, yeah, it was bad. It was so bad. This movie didn't need more, like, product placement money in the first place. It's Guardians of the Galaxy. The first one did, like, pay for, like, the next two sequels. What are you doing? Did it have any product placement, that first movie? Like, maybe yeah. the Sony Walkman? Maybe, but, like, not, like, obnoxious like this. And a lot of these Marvel movies haven't really had them this obnoxious where I've been, like, yep, yeah, that's it. Yeah, this was, like, the first one of, like yikes like yeah what a ooh. what a weird what a weird one for this one to be the obnoxious one with the product placement it, especially when we're in the next movie we're going to spider-man who lives in the real world and in new york that has every business ever every company ever fast food chain ever on every corner just like have a dairy queen there like why did yeah. we need a dairy queen in this movie yeah, I don't know. Maybe James Gunn really liked Dairy Queen, so he's like, I'm going to put them in the movie. And it turns out it's not, it was, wasn't product placement at all. James Gunn's just a huge Dairy Queen fan. He's Let's like, see. Shout, shout out to my whole saucer homies, Dairy Queen. Yes. Let's see what's the best way for me to get free Dairy Queen. <laughs> that, was that part of the deal? You put us in your movie, you get free Dairy Queen for life. Yeah, Done. I'm loaded, but I'm still going to buy a $3, $4 soft serve ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> alright uh, those were my bets let's All get right. on to the goods uh, oddly enough mine aren't anywhere near as specific as those bads um, th- my three good things is that this had a perfect pacing for a movie and the plot is amazing uh, it's amazing how these characters get to the points that they get to and how they f- discover uh, elements of of the planet of planet ego like there's there's a great big mystery behind ego and they all discover what's wrong with it relatively the same time uh plot wise um and it was it, that's that was such a great reveal to find the dead bodies the same time uh mantis wakes up drax the same time um uh ego is talking to what's his name uh peter quill about the same time when Rocket says, oh, we need to go to Ego, and Yondu's like, what are you doing? Like, oh my god. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. all four of those literally happened about, like, the same, like, five to ten minutes, and yeah, it's crazy good how, yeah, this movie's actually really well executed. Really well executed. Every character, um, this is the point that I was disagreeing with you with. Every character is well-defined and has a purpose in the plot. You said Mantis, Mantis was useless in the plot? I don't think so. You need that um. Um, uh, you needed that empathic character to, to take down Ego in the way that you could because uh, he's this giant massive planet and he has opened his you know uh, emotions up to Mantis and um, that's that was the kind of leverage we needed in order uh, to, uh, to uh, submit him for a few minutes to uh, do the stuff that we needed to do for the, for the thing. And then the theme of family... Um, is just awesome like you have the different kinds of family the blood versus the friendship uh that eventually becomes family um i'm not your i may not be your father but i am your daddy boy or something like that uh just like this really really touching look at at family and all this kind of stuff it may be a tired um repeated story uh, but it, it was one that was expertly handled in this one. I think it's the combination of the sci-fi elements, the mystery elements, uh, and just the real emotions that go into every character that worked so well for um, uh, for that story, that particular story that we might have heard a million times before, but it really felt like something different. I agree. Yeah, this 
this movie is really, really well done. Um, I've got three that actually were not the exact same as yours, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I was I was just listening to the first uh, Guardians of the Galaxy today, and I was just like, I wonder if we're going to end up hitting the same exact points again. So, no, let me hear it. No. No. Um, so, the first one in th- this movie especially... Um, we kind of talked a little bit about it, the like how we liked the cinematography of Doctor Strange and like it felt different. This is yeah. the first one of those Marvel movies though, that was gorgeous to look at. Like yeah, the Beginning colors, the end. Were, yeah, the colors were like not undersaturated or like this odd gray that a lot of the others have had. Even the first movie, going back to watch the first Guardians of the Galaxy, it's still colorful and bright and vibrant, but this one's like unreally good. Like mm-hmm. I think this is when they got better cameras. Like and it shows, it looks. Phenomenal. And it's also not even like it just the colors and all the designs look better. It's shot way more interestingly. Um, there are so many really cool shots and things that were, even in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, that were interesting, but not like as gorgeous and pretty. Um, like Yondu's arrow flight in the middle of the ship, as opposed to his arrow flight in the first one. Mm-hmm. This one was just so good looking. Like it's a yeah, yeah, it's a longer scene in more different areas, but like the way it was done was just so much more fascinating to watch. All all, all the bodies falling in slow motion. All the bodies fall in slow motion, or like you know when the like he turns the lights out and then you see like this arrow racing around. So it's this all dark screen with like you know this red line tracing about. Like yeah, and like it's that looks amazing. And there's even like nice quiet moments where it's like you know. Um, there's, like, one where Gamora's, like, outside, you know, she's angry because she just got in a fight with Peter, and she's sitting out there, and essentially this, like, nice prairie alien grassland area, and it's, like, all the colors look good, like, she's in a good composition, and it could have been easy to do just, and it's, like, a wide, wide shot where she's sitting kind of, like, off-center, and there's, like, some billowing grass going by, like, floating by her, and, like, that could have been an easy shot of just having her... You know, an established shot, she's outside, and a close-up on her and her mad face. Like, yeah. that could have been... It would have been a competent, competent shot, but this one was so much more interestingly done all around. The whole movie was just... And in a way, a lot of these Marvel movies have not been. They're yes. pretty much to the point. Here's the shot. Here's the most effective, easy shot to do that doesn't really try and do anything unique. And I think that's kind of James Gunn getting used to himself more. Um, it was... The first Guardians of the Galaxy was more was better shot than a lot of the previous ones, and I I think a lot of it's because a lot of the people they hire for these movies um, are in TV or comedy, which is that's their baseline is they need to do it fast and efficient and cheap and you know get to the shot. They don't have a lot of time to like you know or not a lot of time, but like it's the point's more on getting the shot exactly the way you need it to as opposed to doing these like you know I guess for lack of a better term experimental shots. So, I really appreciated them this movie. It was a delight to look at uh, the yeah. entire time. Just and gorgeous. sound-wise, was, yeah, sound-wise is good, too. But the shots, like, that's more my forte of what I know. And it looks good. Um, th- then my f- one of my favorite parts about this movie, as opposed to all the other ones, and which is why, I guess, spoiler alerts for my opinion, uh, this is one of my absolute favorite movies, is that we get three characters who get clearly defined specific character arcs to their character mm-hmm. we get because really we kind of the whole the guardians like and everybody gets like their spare time as you've said before but really this comes down to like three characters which is gamora peter and rocket yeah those three get very clearly defined arcs um and that's not because all the marvel characters have gotten arcs but usually their arc is either learning to be a hero right mm-hmm. to be less selfish which is kind of rockets but i'll get to that later and then, you know, how to work as a team. That's pretty much the superhero forte for most uh, character arcs. Right. And that's about all we've done for the most part. Whereas, and, you know, those can be applied to so many of them. It's been applied to all the Tony Stark ones. It's been applied to pretty much all Cap, like all this stuff. Whereas this one, they're very specific on what they are. And they all tie together with how father figures have treated them and how they're yes. dealing with their emotions. Yes. Which is, yeah, again, they're all very specific but they're all dealing with the same sort of ideology or like same kind of ideas and same themes, right? Peter's trying to get something that he lost or like thinks he's lost, which is a father figure and is basically like ignoring the rest of him, like everybody else's advice, ignoring that he actually has a family trying to chase after something that he wants. He's trying to reclaim the past and he's not mature enough to realize that 
he he's got what he wanted, right? He's always had it. He just didn't ever take the time to stop and think about it because he wanted instead of, you know, it's got like a childish want, right? We talk about the fact that he's immature in the first movie. And since this movie takes place four or five months after that one, it, it makes sense that he hasn't grown up. Um, it's And it's just a life lesson, too, that he learns. Gamora realizes to, like, you know, open herself up to feelings more and that her actions, while she has saved herself some heartache by, you know, closing herself off to the world and to other people, that that in turn has caused other people pain, right? She's kind of accidentally the cause of why her sister has gone through all this torture and is a hateful monster, right? Because Gamora shut herself down emotionally and therefore doesn't allow, and didn't allow anybody else in when her sister really needed her to be there emotionally for her. So, yeah, she's this cool, badass warrior that, but, like, it, she does, she can't handle herself emotionally, and that by the end of the movie, she learns to open herself up, right? She accepts Nebula's sister again. It's like, you know, if you ever need me, I'm your sister, no matter what. She finally acknowledges that thing that's clearly been happening between her and Peter, that she's just been shutting down at every point. Not because it's not true, but because she's just not emotionally able to handle the idea of somebody cares about her beyond just being, like, a friend. Um, and then Rocket gets one of him learning to accept other people as well, but also not to push everybody away, right? His inst gut instinct is, well, if somebody likes me, they're going to start hating me once they realize the real me, so I'm going to be a jerk to them so I can end up pushing them away. Whether it's unconscious or not, he's pushing them away so that he doesn't get hurt again because he's so scared of getting hurt like he's been in the past. And we get him's realization of, you know, learning that that's not the way you do things. You do that and you're going to be just as lonely and hurt as you have been in the past. You need to open yourself up and let yourself actually, like, accept friendship and, you know, be kind, not do the wrong thing, not keep pushing people away, um, which he gets from Yondu, which is just the best pairing. Like, yeah. I could have watched that all day. Um, so, yeah, that... That arc makes me love this movie. And then, so my third point, which kind of ties into the uh, Yondu rocket pairing. Um, so, I can't know how I explain this without being a jet, massive nerd. Everybody keeps talking about how much they love Empire Strikes Back of Star Wars. Everybody's yeah. like, this is the best sequel. And a lot of people keep saying it's because it's a darker movie. That's not why it's a good movie. Um, I, I, I know that opinions are valid, and yes... It being darker is not a bad thing, but the reason it's such a good movie is because it expands the universe that already has existed while still mm -hmm. honoring the past and putting their characters in unique and different scenarios in order to learn more yeah. about them, yeah. which is what this movie does to a T, right? This is the true honorary. If you wanted like a good sequel of what is important of what you need in a sequel, this is it, right? We're building on expanding on all the universe, right? We're learning more about the Ravagers and more about the Guardians of the Galaxy and all how all these characters have like come about and all that stuff. Well, we're also, you know, not ignoring what happened to the sequel. Like a lot of these Marvel movies kind of do. Um, they'll try and like re retcon things or they'll try and like, you know, not ignore what's happened, but kind of like brush it to the side. Whereas this one is totally 100% on board with what happened in the past. And that's still super relevant and important. And then while also, you know, giving our characters unique and different scenarios and mix it up, you could have easily had like these same five guardian, like guardians interacting with each other like they did in the first movie. And it would have been totally fine. You know, Rocket and Peter would have still been like snarky to each other and they would have like appreciated music together and stuff like that. We had like, you know, Gamora and Drax fighting each other. But instead we got all this, like we got these, the characters split up and we get to learn more about them and have them interact with other stuff that enriches them better. I, Rocket is a far better character from this than he was in the first movie, and he was great in that one, too. Like, all these characters get enriched so much more by having this plot that doesn't just double down on what made the first one good by building on what happened in this one and doing something different with the plot. Yeah, exactly. And you know you have a really great set of characters or know that your characters are really strong if you're able to throw them in different scenarios or throw them with different pairings and they're still equally as cap cap captivating excuse me they're still equally as captivating 
um, as they were the first go around you you met with these characters. Um, and you know you have a really great show when basically every episode is this character, but in this situation now, you know. Exactly, yeah. So if uh, if it hasn't been super clear of why I love this movie uh, as much as the first one, it's because these characters are still utterly phenomenal. Um, yes. They're still by far the most strong, unique, and interesting characters we've gotten in the MCU. And that's even over Tony Stark and Cap. Like, I like those characters. They're done well, but they're almost kind of scatterbrained at times, depending on who's doing the movie. Uh, and it just, and that's a little bit of the benefit of having the same writer director essentially uh, in these two movies. But at the same time, they're so fundamentally strong that I bet even going into, uh, Avengers three, um, when, you know, they're, they show up in the shop trying to buy the Wakandan plant. Um, I bet you anything they're going to be just as strong then in that musical number as they are in this movie. (laughs) I, I have a feeling that you will be correct. I wonder how much involvement James Gunn has. Apparently uh, with... he's written, not rewrote some of the lines, so he's still very much involved with keeping them the exact same as they were, which is great. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. Uh, not, I, don't, I don't like the idea of a bunch of people jumping in on like somebody else's gig, but these characters are his. And, and I'm sure... You know, the writers for the like the movie did fine with how they were written, but just that extra little bit of touch, like, just going in, doctoring up a few lines, like, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, those are his pretty much his characters at this point. Like, they're, I know they're technically legally Marvels, but, man, that's those are James Gunn characters and good James Gunn characters. Uh, I'm going to plug in Lindsay Ellis's uh, review on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, actually, she kind of goes into both of them quite a bit, and I just... The, the, I don't think we touched on many of the reasons of why she thought it was so good, uh, so I would please very much uh, go check that out, because that are, also articulates uh, how well uh, the family dynamic and, and um, Peter Quill's uh, specific um, uh, character, character arc in this movie... Uh, how well that's done and, and like that uh, a little bit of a spoiler alert it, it goes into some uh some ideas of his maturity and how he quote unquote doesn't get with the gor- girl by the end of the movie and it's Which just it's totally fine with yeah that's a totally great part that, it's yeah, such it, a it's, smart move on it's on so many different levels. that there is something there but we don't have like this like scene making out it's like he, yeah, because that's not what Gamora. They're not ready like. yet. Neither yeah, one of them that's... are ready for that relationship yet. No, nope, uh, but at all. especially Peter. Yeah, no, they're both not. Yeah, and I would even say especially Gamora too. Like, that's not her getting to finally open up, like even just a little bit, and like acknowledge that's in existence. That's a huge step. It would be thanks so to the help of Mantis. Yeah, there would be such a weird moment if she was like making out with Peter. Like that's that would be so weird and too. It would be too much. Like. So, yeah, she she made a huge step by, like, you know, confronting her sister and, like, telling her that she'll always be there for him and acknowledging that, they're, hey, I do kind of like you more than just, like, as a friend. That's more than enough for her emotionally, like, that I'm, yeah, again, agreed. So, yes, go watch that. Sorry to steal your thunder on that one. Yeah, go watch nope, that video. Um, yeah, it's I will probably watch it not right after this, but I will be watching it very soon. Yeah, it's it's a really good look. Have you seen it before? I have, yes. Okay, great. So, yes. Um, there you go. Uh, Mr. Potabom, it is time to do the rating. Um, to remind everybody, one star means you hated it. Two means you didn't like it at all. Uh, not at all, but didn't like it. Uh, three stars means you liked it okay. Four stars means you really liked it. And five stars means you love it. Mr. Potabom, what is your rating for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? 4.5 out of 5. Uh, it's the same one I gave the first one, and this one has earned it for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, there you go. I'm going to give it a 4.75 out of 5. I adore wow. this movie. I adore I, this movie. This yeah, is, I, the, it, for me, a 5 would be something that I could watch every day and never get tired of, or I have the wanting to see it every day and never get tired of. If you put down... Um, probably the most recent five that I have right now is, uh, get out and wonder woman. Um, if you put in, especially, especially get out, uh, any time of the day, I could probably watch it beginning to end. 
uh, regardless of how busy I'm supposed to be, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy isn't quite there. Uh, I, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it is that gets into there. Maybe it's my petty, uh, negatives. Uh, but this, this movie is on a whole different level for the MCU. This is, uh, the most expertly put together, uh, plot and pacing and character piece I've ever seen come out of the MCU. And these are the kind of movies that I want all the time superhero wise uh this easily if i were to do if you forced me to make a top 10 superhero films of all time uh this uh would be the only one from the mcu uh, other than the avengers just because uh that was such a monumental effort uh such a big um uh, chapter to the superhero genre uh nobody's ever done a team up movie like that before so avengers would get on there too uh, but this one would be the one that I would be unapologetic about putting on my top 10 uh, best superhero films of all time. This is an absolutely great piece of filmmaking. I think at least the reason for me why it's on that list and like because it's on my top huge list on the MCU. And if like if we end up, I guess, another kind of spoiler, if we, when, if we ever like rank these out, this is easily on the top three for sure. Yeah, um, I think this one just has that like. Again, like kind of like I talked about, like character emotional depth of there's something like extra involved in it. Like, um, all these movies have like a lot of these MCU movies have had some heart to them. Uh, this one is just unapologetically like it knows what it's about. It's yeah, like expertly plotted and paced, but with characters that we really like that are all going through identifiable yet unique arcs, story arcs that make us want to keep watching it. Like, there's something special about this one that, yeah, I agree. It's easily one of my favorites like i was watching this looking for nitpicks and i like my nitpicks are like there and i have bad things but like they're not like i those none of those matter like yeah the soundtrack's not on point so what 90 percent of the time it like hits accurately like Mm -hmm. pretty much almost everything is i love this movie so much i love both girls of the galaxy like and it's kind of like set up too that like even if they don't do well in like they're not great in the Avengers movie, we got two pretty solid, almost near perfect superhero movies out of them that like have a clear beginning and end of the story. That's yeah. they're almost they're standalones and they're perfect that way. The one more thing I wanna say is that I have a lot of these nitpicks here are some of the nitpicks that I have for a lot of these Marvel movies. Um uh, this movie probably had bathos as one of the worst, you know, one of the worst cases of bathos in any of the Marvel movies, to be honest. Like it's, yeah, there's some uh, bad ones. There's some but... really bad ones in this one, but at the end of the day, I just kind of realized that like, that doesn't matter. That's so does not matter. Nitpicks like those, like I thought those were the reasons why the MCU didn't work as a whole to me. And going through this movie again, is just like, no, that's all wrong. If, if your story is right, it does not matter. Um, I mean, it does matter what kind of decisions you make, but like anything nitpicky, like I'm sure there's a bunch of, not a bunch, but I'm sure there's some kind of plot holes in this movie as well. If, if you know, that's the case, you know, that so doesn't matter because this movie nails the emotions and, and how it fits together so well. Um, just it's on a different level than any other MCU movie. And, uh, yeah, any, any kind of grievances I've had before is, is just arbitrary. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I was even like waiting for the bathhouse to happen and like I found it, but I just didn't care. Like, because this movie like knows is mature enough to like, Hey, no, that's what it's about, which we kind of got from the first movie. Yeah. There's some bathhouse. And I think that's just the way James Gunn exists in life, I think. So it just, it, it's natural here where some of the other movies, it's very unnatural and weird when they do it. Whereas it's natural in this movie to have that happen. And it just, yeah, exactly. The movie's so well executed that like, whoop-de-doo when they like do like a bathhouse moment that might've been a little bit too much. Like this movie more than makes up for it in having earnest, real emotional moments that we care about. Yep, Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Next week, we're on our way to Spider-Man, colon, Homecoming. Woo! Yeah, not not bad, not bad. Uh, we're going to have a good one-two punch, I think, with these. Um, so there you go. I'll see you next week, folks. This been this has been Kirk Peterson. And I'm still Alex Potterball. 
And this has been Pots versus Pete's. The Marvelous Moron. <laughs> Excelsior. See you next week, folks. This has been another episode of Pots vs. Pete's. All music was composed by the sensational Kila Galusha, and this episode was edited by the astonishing Will Dots. The amazing Alex Podbon and the uncanny Kirk Peterson have been your hosts, as always. Our league synopsis was provided by Uwatu, the all-seeing watcher. Thank you, True Believer, for listening.